Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go, and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marvie Guru. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 6, Episode 21, Let It Bleed. Let's get this show on the road. Hi, everyone. Due to the nature of this episode, we will be discussing racism, anti-Semitism, and xenophobia in critical time. If that's not something you want to hear us discuss, you can skip this episode or critical time, either for now or entirely. We don't mind. We just want you to feel safe and take care of yourselves. So I think it's pretty clear that I lied. (laughs) I was deceitful. (laughs) Shocker. You've never deceived me regarding this show, ever. Ben and Lisa's arc is not actually over, but now it actually is. I have issues with this ending for them, which we'll get into a little bit in story time, actually. But I kind of felt like, oh, this is their way of writing them off. I have very strong feelings about it. But we are in the penultimate episode of season six, because yes, Sam, some people do use the word penultimate. It's not just in scripts, just saying. Do you want to give us a recap? Can't we down? Three, two, one, go. We have this kind of cool side plot of like Bobby and Cass chasing down this mystery that for some stupid reason involves H.P. Lovecraft, which is so unnecessary and stupid. But the fun part is we learned that our dragon expert, whose name I'm suddenly forgetting from the last episode with the dragons, is actually like something from Purgatory who got out before and has been this entire time, which is a really cool kind of twist. And Bobby's like, you could have told me that while we were sleeping together. So, ooh, we know more about their past. On to the main plot. We have Lisa and Ben being kidnapped by Crowley's goons because he promised he would never hurt Sam and Dean, never said he wouldn't go after other humans. Dean gets incredibly fucking pissed. Everyone's kind of at like their like wits end here and everyone's trying to do something. They get Balthazar on their side because Balthazar is like not cool with this whole plan, even though he pretended to know it the whole time. And he helps them a little bit and is all like, cool, you're on your own now, bye. Time? Oh, I, I mean, I guess I sort of missed the end of the episode, which is they save Lisa Ben, Lisa Ben's memory wipe, Dean sad. That's his own damn fault at this point, honestly. <laughs> so let's get into the long game because I have a lot of shit to say to Dean. All right, so it does look like Sam, Dean, and Bobby took all the books from the Campbell family library and moved them into Bobby's house. Makes sense. Which is sort of reminding me that, like, I don't think that we've tied this back to, like, season three. But do you remember when Ruby, and this was old Ruby or, like, blonde Ruby, do you remember her? Jesus, yes. No, that was a while ago, right? But she had told Sam to look into the Campbell family and he'd found out that they had, like, all died, right? And I I don't know why I hadn't brought this up before, but I'm bringing it up now. It looks like some of them had survived, like, until now, obviously. I think when we first encountered, like, the Campbells and, like, their being cousins, we we touched on it briefly. Like, aren't they all dead? Like, didn't they mention not having any family anymore? And, like, surprise, here are some cousins you didn't know about because reasons? I sort of assume that because they took all the books that there are no, like, surviving relatives and that Sam and Dean are the last ones. For real, this time. Or at least no surviving relatives that knew about demons and hunting, which would be a really weird thing. There's just, like, a small group of Campbells who were, like... Just like the most super chill people living in California, no knowledge of any of this demon bullshit. Well, it does look like Sam and Dean have Jewish relatives. 
because Bobby mentions a Moisha Campbell, and I quote, of the New York Campbells. Lisa's boyfriend is black, and the only reason why I do point this out, because it shouldn't stand out, the first reason is actually because this is one of the rare times that we see, like, a neutral black character in Supernatural that's actually, like, prominently featured, even though he does end up dying. For a whole 17 frames. I know, there you go. I think he even gets a line or something. It stands out because this is an episode revolving around H.P. Lovecraft. And in that episode, we find out about Sam and Dean's Jewish relatives, and we get a Black character presented in a positive light, which I sort of feel would be the equivalent of like showcasing a trans character in an episode centered around J.K. Rowling. Yeah, okay, I, I see where you're going with this. Correctly, but yes. When Sam and Dean summon Balthazar, like the lights are exploding, which to me was really reminiscent of Castle's like intro scene. Yeah, no, when they were doing their little ritual and there was like a moment of like, who could they be summoning? And like, it was kind of obvious it wasn't me, Balthazar, but like I couldn't even anyone. I was like trying to think like, is this going to be a fake out for somebody else? The lights exploding. I'm like, ah, Balthazar. I just find, you know, obviously this is also meant to like be sad because before like the angel that they could count on was Cass and now like it's shifting to somebody else. And so it's meant to like make us feel like all nostalgic and stuff for the good times. Sam mentions that Dean is running on whiskey and coffee and whatever else he's taking. And honestly, like, I have so many questions. Like, first of all, like, what's the whatever else? I assume that he's talking about drugs, but, like, is this a usual thing for Dean? Like, it's just such a throwaway line, and yet, like, it just opens such a can of worms to me. I can't think of a way to rephrase that line without purely dropping the blank for something specific. Because, like, anything else you would have said, like, you know, maybe he's just, like, adrenaline was the line, or no, okay. Uh, or, like, just whatever he, whatever junk food he could eat, they would say junk food. Like, to really say everything else or whatever he's on kind of thing is, like, something he either isn't normally taking, which is bad, or we don't often hear, or we never hear about, which is bad. I think if Sam is mentioning it, like, it means that this is something that does happen and that he's aware of, right? So, like, I'm like, what... What is this? Like, because we'd never really seen Dean as a drug user before, even though, like, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure that he, in my mind anyway, he would have used drugs at some point or another. But, like, this sort of seems like, um, like, not a regular thing, but definitely something that would happen in these circumstances, right? Yeah. We find out that Cass would have to, like, absorb the souls from purgatory and wield their power that way. And Balthazar warns him that this might just be too much juice for him and that he might explode and, quote unquote, take half the planet with him. So now the stakes of, like, this whole operation are through the roof because it's not just, like, the civil war in heaven. It's also the fact that, like, if Cass does the thing that he wants to do that nobody already wants him to do, if he still manages to do that, it's still hugely risky. I mean, this is one of those weird moments where like, I immediately catch the plot hole and go like, okay, so just split it with Balthazar, like, or only take as much as you can handle and like, learn your limit. Like, I, like, I guess, again, the semantics of the situation, like, how does it work exactly? We don't know, but like, it just feels to me like you could probably, you know, maybe absorb half of it. And if you're feeling okay, do a little more. You don't have to do all of it at once. It seems like there's no valve on <laughs> the purgatory soul, like, tap. <laughs> Once you pop, you can't stop. It's like, it's like you know, Lay's. You just have to eat the whole bag. 
Uh, so we know that this episode happens like the day after the events of the man who would be king. And we do like get a continuation of Dean and Cass's fight, which I think this line from Cass really sums up in my opinion. I do everything that you ask. I always come when you call and I am your friend. Still, despite your lack of faith in me and now your threats, I just saved you yet again. Has anyone but your closest kin ever done more for you? All I ask is this one thing. So clearly like Cass is not budging and neither is Dean. Like they both still are very much digging in their feet in their position and they're not moving. And their position is basically just the, the, the same. It's the, you love me, do this do for this me. Do this for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ugh. We find out that Ellie is actually a creature from purgatory, like you mentioned, which means like, wait for it. Bobby, <laughs> monster fucker, confirmed. Ugh. On that topic, um, we know that Ellie and Bobby had a sexual relationship, and she tells him, like, you're just a man. Which is a direct callback to Cass telling Dean the exact same thing just last episode. I kind of love that, because I think it's just, it's, it's done in two very different ways. I feel like... When Ellie does it, it's it's not a put down. It's just like a reminder of the scales. Whereas when Dean does it, uh, Cass does the Dean, it feels very like an attack. I know, but I still disagree with that. I know, I know that everybody was like seeing it one way, but I still see it very much as like this is this is Cass stating facts. It's just that like the way that he says it is misunderstood because to him, there's nothing wrong with his tone. That's how I always saw it. That's how I continue to see it. And I know that people disagree and that's fine. I get it. I feel like it's an intent versus uh, like the intent was not an attack. Right. It's part of the miscommunication that they just can't like figure out. I find it interesting that the show like reopens the conversation about Ben's paternity. When we'd first met Lisa, she had told Dean that he wasn't Ben's dad and that it was somebody else, right? But in this episode, the demon possessing Lisa, who has access to like her thoughts and memories, is like, well, who knows? It's very much demons lying. Like, I took none of that for truth. That was just demons being demons because demons are dicks. The rest of the conversation was pretty clearly the demon lying, so we can also chalk that up to the demon lying. But I just find it interesting that it's brought up again. Given that we know it's now, like, a finale for them, so it's, like, a final send-off to this, like, relationship of Dean's, just to kind of, like, turn the knife one more time for Dean and for us, the viewer, of, like, you'll never know. So after Crowley kidnaps Ben and Lisa to, like, keep the brothers occupied and not looking for them, like you said, they eventually find them, and Cass erases their memories of Dean after he asks, after Dean asks them to do that. And the episode ends with Cass finding Ellie. I'm very, very intrigued to see how that confrontation finally goes. Let's hope it lives up to your expectations. I'm sure it won't. Story time? Our theme this week is selfishness, which is the quality of being primarily concerned with oneself, one's interests, profit, or pleasure. Someone this week is very clearly uh, the target of this theme, but we will be discussing everybody and see if you can figure out who I'm referring to. What do you think about Sam? What's his relationship to selfishness in this episode? I feel like Sam's been on a very good streak recently. Like, 
we do have one tiny moment where he could kind of be said to be acting a little selfish, and I really think it's a stretch. It's more a case of he's concerned for Dean, so he's doing something against Dean's wishes to try to help this himself get out of the situation, which is praying to Cass because he's worried for Dean and thinks Dean has gone too far, which he kind of has. Like, I mean, Dean goes back to torturing on a dime here. Like, it's clear that something's wrong, and Sam is just out of ideas. And, like, again, I know you're going to turn around and go, like, yeah, that's kind of a stretch. I agree, because Sam is pretty complacent and, like, to the side of this episode. Yeah, I mean, yes, I fully agree with you that it's definitely a stretch. I Because I really don't see it as selfishness. I actually see it as the opposite of selfish, because he's doing it specifically for Dean's well-being. So he's, like, he knows that there might be repercussions for himself, that Dean, you know, with whatever else he's taking... And his alcohol and caffeine, like, might not be super happy about that, but he's doing it anyway. So to me, like, that's the opposite of selfishness. It's actually selflessness. But but I find that that is literally the kind of thing that Sam is dealing with this week. Like, he's stuck. He's stuck on the bad end, I guess, of Dean and Cass's selfishness. And it's, just, it's a really shitty place to be. Like, I think the example that jumps up at me is at the very end when he tells Dean, like, you've pulled some shady crap before, but this has got to be the worst. Whitewashing their memories, take it from someone who knows. And he can't even finish his sentence because Dean cuts him off and threatens him with with violence, for crying out loud, you know? like, And Sam knows exactly what this feels like and he knows what it's like to doubt your own mind and he knows what's going to happen to Ben and Lisa if they're ever in a situation where they see something like about Dean that reminds them of Dean and they start like maybe remembering some things like wondering why they feel like they know something they don't know anyway Sam is watching somebody that he loves act very selfishly and I think that he's on the receiving end of that Overall, this is a very casting episode, so finding anything for Sam besides my very attempted stretch, which I agree with you, was totally more selflessness. No, for sure, but I think when we're talking about theme, like, it can be also that he's just on the other end, right? Like, it's... it's he, he's, he's the opposite of selfish, this episode. Well, I don't know if it's the opposite, but he's, like, dealing with other people's selfishness. Yeah, but I even think in the way he deals with it, the way he goes about everything as I was sort of small of his part is... He is trying to be more selfless. He is actively trying to be there for Dean and being turned down. Trying to get Cass to at least come and show up and help a little bit. Gets rejected. And then even turns to Dean to kind of give him the, like, you know, like, hey, that's a shitty move. Let's have a conversation about this and try to, like, make you understand why this is a shitty move and being shut down with the threat of a broken nose. I have a lot more to say about Dean, though. Dean is, and I believe the correct term to use here is, being an ass this week. It's concerning me because even given the stakes, he's still very much choosing to selfishly go it alone, refusing help from Sam and Cass. Truly, if the like selfless act here was the saving of his loved ones, he'd be, you know, taking the help he can get and getting a solution and would not be risking Lisa and Ben and leaving them in jeopardy longer just to prove he can save them on his own. Like it really is asinine. And I think he knows it. I honestly sort of see this as a manifestation of deep trauma because I think that this is like the epitome of Dean's hyper-independence. Finding out that Crowley has been in Lisa is an incredibly stressful time for Dean. 
And we've seen over and over again that when Dean is under immense stress, he reverts to coping mechanisms that he developed in childhood and informative years. So in this case, he's reaching for hyper-independence and for substance use. I mean, he even hits Ben in the face, you know, like this is something that fandom never really talks about. Like I've never really seen a conversation about this. And to me, like in, in this episode and with him like slapping him across the face, like I really see Dean treating Ben the way that I imagine John treated him. And as much as I empathize with that, like it's so hard to watch. It's like Dean makes the wrong choice at every turn possible this week. It really is so like hard to watch, especially after seeing him go through so much last week that like you want to have empathy and sympathy for him, but he is just making poor choices. Again, at the end of the episode, you know, it's heartbreaking, but again, it's a very selfish fucking move. Like, let's just take a second to go into story, like full on story world here. There are now two people that are known to be beloved by him who at least had a chance to defend themselves or call for help, but the next time some demon sends some goons to Lisa's door, she's going to be caught completely off guard and have no one to call for help, and Dean seems to think this is the better thing for them, and he's being a selfless hero by giving them up in this way? Uh, no. No, no, no. Like, all he's done is put them in more danger and hurt himself at the same time. Like, lose-lose situation here, idiot. When I first watched that episode, I was like, just logistically, this is so dumb. <laughs> like, and again, like I have so much empathy for like for Dean for for reaching for these weird coping mechanisms. Like, well, not weird because they actually kept him alive, so they're good in that sense. But I think that like it was really hard to watch because like I think I've mentioned that before. But like the first time that I watched Supernatural, I had just been through a breakup, and this happened when my son was about three years old. And I remember that at the time, like I already didn't like Dean, and it, I only turned around on him a little bit, like because of the last episode, like the men who would be king. But this, like, it honestly really horrified me. And in my mind at the time, like my son and I had just been abandoned by my ex. And so like to watch Dean do that to Ben and Lisa was honestly super tough. And honestly, apart from the fact that I really don't dislike Dean anymore, I actually really love him. Like I still hate this episode because I think this is genuinely one of the most selfish things that Dean has ever done and will ever do and the only time i think he does something he does this kind of selfish shit is when he's under immense stress and he taps into these old coping mechanism i guess what i'm like grasping from this is that the most selfish thing that he's doing is staying within these patterns like i think that the selfless thing to do for him would be to work towards healing because then, like, he wouldn't need to reach to those mechanisms anymore. And he would be able to react the way that he wants to react and in a way that he would be proud of without having to carry shame from that afterwards. Because you can't tell me that Dean is proud of having done that. And you see it in the conversation with Sam. He's like, he can't even talk about it. That's how ashamed he is. You're right. Like, he's very much ashamed of what he did at the end. And I think he's trying to play it off as, like, pain but he is in pain though he is in pain i believe that but i think he's using the pain to also mask how ashamed he is of the choice he just made sure i can i can see that see at least cass 
there's a little bit of nuance to him this week. Like, despite continuing with his plan and working with Crowley, you know, Dean has clearly pleaded with him and he feels he must continue as it's the only way, which, I mean, to break story time for a second, you and I both know it's never the case. There's always another way because that's how the show works. But despite the rift between them, Cass still comes to Dean's aid, ignoring Sam, mind you, but comes for Dean right away. And, like, drops in to save Dean at the last second, apologizing for the situation they find themselves in, understanding that this was not his doing. Crowley's working effectively against him in this one act, and he's sorry about it. And offering to help, which, of course, Dean declines because selfish ass. I understand why Dean's saying no, right? Like... He, he can't trust Cass in that moment. And they already have help from Balthazar. Or they know that they can reach to somebody else for help at that point. I can't really remember exactly when that happens in the episode. But like, I fully understand that he can't trust Cass at this point with this. Because he I don't think he's 100% certain that Cass wasn't in on it. You know? Like, I don't know that he's 100% certain. Cass is keeps using pride as an excuse. I think there's a bit of selfishness here in that he has put himself in a situation where he feels he's the only one who can take care of this. Uh, and he is choosing his own plan, his own way, and his vision of heaven over everything else. And again, I understand under the guise of I want to avoid an apocalypse and save Dean, which is the selfless part of it. But there is still the digging his heels in, not listening to Dean, not looking for other options, and trying to go my own way plan. And I, I still think some of it might be his own pride on the line, which is maybe to account for a bit of his behavior this week. Yeah, like, I, I fully agree. I don't think there's any ifs, buts, or maybes here. Like, at this point, he's endangering the entire planet. The, the planet that he says he wants to save in order to, like, save it. And all that just because he thinks that he can withstand the power of the souls that he needs in order to do this. Like, to me, it's not only selfish, it's also hubris. And he doesn't care about the warnings. Like, he thinks that he's God's favorite and nothing is going to happen to him. And so that's where he is in this moment. I think this is a little bit more hubris than selfishness, but I think they kind of have a relationship in that way. Right. I kind of wonder what is the relationship between selfishness and hubris? Because like at the end of the day, I think that hubris, when you involve other people without their consent, also becomes selfishness. And when the other people in question is the earth. I also want to talk about another form of selfishness here, and that is infidelity. Because the men who would be king kind of leaned, no, not kind of, leaned into the subtext of Cass's betrayal of Dean being infidelity. But I find that this episode really just hammers it in. Like, I find it super interesting that to talk about Crowley and Cass working together, Dean refers to Cass as Crowley's butt buddy. Which again, like, if we take seriously and not as a homophobic joke... Like, it confirms the reading of Cass's betrayal as infidelity. And then just a few minutes later, Crowley greets Cass with, Sweetie, you look tense. And even later, Balthasar asks Cass if he's in flagrante with Crowley, which I had to look up, but it means in the very act of wrongdoing, especially in an act of sexual misconduct. And another thing, 
Balthazar also later remarks that Cass and Crowley's marriage is going swimmingly. You know, he's saying that sarcastically when he's talking about Crowley's lack of trust in Cass. So again, like we can take all of these like as jokes, but to me, they would be super homophobic. And I've already said that that's not what I want to do with this show. Like, and so if, if it's not jokes that make fun of gay people, then like, I'm not sure what I'm left with other than, you know, Cass betrayed Dean with Crowley in a relationship sense. Oh, no, you are a thousand percent on point. Well, let's move on then. This episode was written by Sarah Gamble and directed by John F. Showalter, originally airing on May 20th, 2011. So I do want to, before we get to the Hunter's Journal, say something that occurred to me while we were having this discussion. Sure. I said I said at the top of the show I liked this episode. I realize now the part I liked was Bobby. Ah. Uh. <laughs> I liked Bobby playing detective. I did too. Yeah, I liked his jokes about an invisible man coming in here and stealing the documents. I liked his actually connecting with the son uh, in the uh, the institution. And, like, the, the line of you're the first person to, like, say that, like, you know, offer condolences to my mother. I, I just sort of liked a very human side of Bobby doing his, like, research part of his phase. I feel like it's the kind of thing we see Sam do mostly. And even when we've gotten Bobby the Hunter, it's been very much, like, the action-oriented or, like, here's the, here's the thing, go do a thing. So to see him kind of really, like, with, with the cast-style trench coat, too, it's just, like... Oh, I loved it. I loved it a lot. Like, that's the part of the episode I liked. Reliving all of it now with you. Yeah, this is a bad episode. I I just find it really painful to watch, honestly, because I don't like Dean in this one. Like, I don't like... Because sometimes the boys act like their best selves, and sometimes they act like their worst selves. And I feel like this is Dean acting like his worst self, frankly. And I understand why he's doing it, but I think... Again, like the selfless thing and the mature thing would be to make space for growth. And obviously this is a, you know, a network show from at this point, like the 2010s, right? So it's it's unlikely that this is going to happen. But again, if we're looking at how would that translate in real life, like if I saw somebody acting in a similar way, I would be like, you know, you you need to heal from what you're doing because clearly like, when you're in when you're under a lot of stress you tend to revert to things that you're not proud of in the long run what's in the hunter's journal perhaps from the campbell family library what's in moish's journal today <laughs> i'm gonna do this in a new york jewish accent ready no okay i'm not gonna do that first time i encountered a monster was terrifying my friend's dying scream still haunts me years later now As I learned more and hunted these things as some sort of revenge or penance for failing a loved one, it was was a long while before I met an actual demon. I was sort of shaken. I had heard of demons, of course, but, you know, I'd been taught how to deal with them, and I guess in all that learning, I never really thought about what they'd look like. So I was a bit more than startled when I kicked in the door to that video store, only to find a senior citizen soaked in the blood of multiple victims just smiling at me, like she knew I was coming for her. I was shook long enough to give it a chance to pounce on me. Had me pinned, 
but I was left with just enough wiggle room to grab a vial of holy water from my coat pocket and smash it against her face. As I expected, it burned her and she recoiled. Stood myself up and began reading aloud the ancient text I had sewn inside of my coat. I did my best to keep an eye on it and keep a shelf or two between us, and I continued to glance down and make sure I enunciated, just as I was taught. Finally, I reached the end and it took hold. The woman reeled back and spewed forth a cloud of black smoke and the old woman's corpse fell to the ground. I honestly expected demons to be, you know, big and red with horns, maybe even goat legs. You know, the cliches. But truly, I think this puppetry of flesh was much more disturbing. I feel like we're going to have some heavy thoughts this week and I'm looking forward to hearing them. So please. Listen, this is an episode that centers around Lovecraft, right? So... While I was preparing for it, I did a little bit of reading about his work and his life because honestly, like I, I don't, I didn't know about any of it, right? I knew, I know that he was a, a horror writer and I knew that there were some racist themes that were like baked into his work, but I honestly was really unprepared for how much like of an openly raging racist and xenophobe he was. At one point, I found a quiz called Hitler or Lovecraft, where you have to read a quote and guess if it was said or written by Hitler or Lovecraft. And I figured that we could like take the quiz on the podcast and compare results. But the quotes were so hateful and filled with so many slurs that even by censoring the slurs, like we couldn't even read them out loud on here. Like it was absolutely completely shocking um, I, I had to like take breaks as I was going through the quiz and like reading about the things that he's said and written. I, I'm going to put the link to the quiz in the show notes, but like, please, huge content warning for raging racism, anti-Semitism and xenophobia. So anyway, at this point, like, I do want to paraphrase a few things that Lovecraft wrote. So again, please be aware that it does contain hateful language and ideology. I There will be no slurs, but like, it, it's still quite hateful. So skip ahead if this isn't something you want to hear, although I would encourage non-Jewish white folks to listen and to sit in the discomfort of hearing those things. Like, I think it's really important. So Lovecraft was staunchly against interracial, and I quote, mixing. He believed that it would lead to the I quote, biological injury of the white stock. He believed that any mixed person should fall, quote, below the racial line. He also compared Black American people and Black Australian Indigenous people to primates. He wished that Jim Crow laws could also apply to Jewish people. And what's interesting to me here is that he rested most of his argument for racial discrimination on biology and science, saying that it was like a biological fact, which I think is really important to note, especially with some ongoing conversations today when it comes to trans rights, like using the quote unquote biology argument is not new for bigots, basically. And I just I really want us to keep this in mind. We'll be honest, I've known bits and pieces of this hearing how bad it got is I'll be shocking. Just fuck him. Yeah, I have some some other thoughts that I'll share more in the reflection and call to action because like the thing is, what do, now what do you do with his work, right? That has influenced so many people. 
to write the way that they do today. So that's a, that's a big thing. Big question. This week, we have a message from Nell. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discuss today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question, what other creator or work of fiction would you like to see brought into Supernatural for our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk? Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hi, Carrying Wayward. It's Nell back again with another voicemail. This time, I want to talk a little bit about Sam and Dean and internalizing versus externalizing behaviors. So internalizing and externalizing behaviors are... um, terms that we use in my field of special education to talk about um, emotional and behavioral disorders. So internalizing behaviors are things like depression, anxiety, substance abuse, um, feelings of guilt and loneliness, nervousness, fearfulness, concentration problems. Um, And externalizing behaviors are things like aggression, disruption, um, destruction of property, stuff like that, violence, um, defiant or criminal behaviors. So I want to talk a little bit about Sam and Dean with that. So Sam is someone who I think we can see demonstrates a lot of internalizing behaviors. He is very negative sort of on himself. He's less outwardly violent or aggressive, but he does seem a little more anxious. He's someone who um, I think experiences a lot of sort of irritability he's someone who gets frustrated really easily but he sort of pulls all of that internally uh, until he snaps now dean is someone who uh demonstrates externalizing behavior so anger um and property destruction stuff like that those are things that dean uses um are examples of these externalizing behaviors. So I want to talk a little bit about that in in regards to um, coping mechanisms that they use. So for Sam, I guess this isn't a coping mechanism, but demon blood. It's a substance abuse problem, and substance abuse problems are part of an internalizing behavior. And so Sam is someone who has that, and that really informs how he approaches other things in life because he's trying not to get sort of addicted to other things uh, throughout his life, Dean doesn't really have that problem. Dean really is more focused um, externally again, but he's also someone who focuses his uh, his anger and his negative self-feelings towards other people. So he lashes out at other people, whether or not that is well-deserved or not. Um, But I guess I don't really have anything else to say. I just think that it's interesting to use, um, to sort of view them through those lenses and how that informs their perception of the world, their perception of each other, and other people's perceptions of them. Um, Children with externalizing behaviors are much more likely to get sort of clocked as having an issue than kids with internalizing behaviors. Um, So yeah, thanks for everything you do. I'm sure I will talk to you all soon. Bye. Nell, thank you. We always love having you back with a voicemail. I think this is one of those great moments where just like, as soon as you started to describe the types of like internal versus external, it became very like, immediately obvious. of Like, oh, Sam and Dean, they are perfectly two sides of this coin. And 
I think from a media study background, this is something that is very common in content like this. When you have two characters who kind of like play on the same side that they like differ in like these very like obvious, like, like zero to a hundred type ways. Like one is 100% internal. One is a hundred percent external. You might get the occasional like bit of difference because of writing, but like generally they each signify one side of it, but it does make it very interesting the way that everyone's handled. And, you know, I'll be very honest when you were listing them, there was a weird moment where like, substance abuse to me seemed external not internal really quickly i realized why that perception is there uh because it's something you can very much see whereas all of the other things are mental and internal but this episode does have a good moment too where we actually have balthazar approach sam regarding him drinking a small glass of whiskey which doesn't seem out of character but when we think about it, we don't see Sam drink that often, minus the occasional beer with Dean. But his hard liquor consumption is pretty much exclusively him dealing with things. So we even get a clear example of this episode. So thank you for bringing this to light. As much as it, it's so glaringly obvious now that I know it, it took someone pointing at us. So thank you. You know, I think that this is, again, one of those times where people are like, this is rigged for sure. Like, these, <laughs> they must be listening to these voicemails in advance because, like, this is the perfect episode to talk about this, like you were saying. So thank you, Nell, for kind of, like, bringing that lens, like, into our discussion because I, I agree. Like, I and I agree with you, Drew. Like, it's, but it's the whole, like, and it's the whole archetypes of Sam and Dean, which is, like, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. Like, it's, it's it's who they are and they're they're meant to be opposites because it one it creates tension it creates drama but it also creates situations where they can help each other out as well you know i think that this is really interesting and and here we also see like dean externalizing what's going on with him right so through aggression violence so yeah this is uh, it's really kind of freaky actually that we're listening to this voicemail today so thank you, Nell, for, for sending it in. I think it's a, a really, just on it by itself, like, really good addition to this episode. Like, listen, little, little peek behind the curtains here. Like, just a little peek behind the curtains. We received this voicemail, like, quite some time ago, but I decided to move it back because we also got the cornfield message from Nell that was really time sensitive and so I was like you know we're not going to do too like too close together we'll move this one back and so I was like okay now we're at the time where it's been long enough we can listen to it and I'm just like this was the best decision <laughs> the google drive works in mysterious ways Drew do you have any reflections and call to action for this episode doing the thing that Dean didn't do ask for help I so often forget how I can just ask for help. And the worst part is that sometimes I get to a point where I feel like I've gone too far and that asking for help would like hurt my pride in some way, which is stupid. Like I know how dumb it sounds. Like at the end of the day, whether I ask for help right away or after I fail a few times, I'm allowed to ask for help. It's never too late unless it's past. And I, I will blame. I feel like there's a part of that like toxic masculinity, the way you, a lot of boys in my generation were raised that like you're not supposed to ask for help like you still hear the joke of like men don't ask for directions like screw it i use a gps everywhere i go and if a gps ain't working i'm asking a stranger where to go 
and a recommendation for a coffee shop, probably, because why not? My personal call to action is to not be like Dean, and it's to ask for help and accept the help that is offered to me, and only I can make myself better, and I'm going to do it. I love that. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And what would you like to share with us? I know you hinted a little bit before, but I'm curious to hear it. Yeah, I mean, listen, like this podcast episode really challenged me, I think, because like you said, I was talking about it earlier. Like, I really just, I did not know how much of a hateful racist Lovecraft really was. Um, this was this was literally new information. Like I had heard about, you know, but it was always kind of like, oh yeah, you know, like some of his work has some racist undertones. Like that was kind of like my, the idea that I came into this episode with. And, and it's difficult because like his work is so influential in American horror and has like inspired so many contemporary authors, like think about Stephen King, for example, like and other creators. Right. It's bringing up like the very complex question of like, wh what do we do with that? Like, what do we do with his work? As millennials, we have our own reckoning to do when it comes to J.K. Rowling and her transphobic views. What do we do with the Harry Potter series? And even in my own like academic work, like I work semi-closely with the writings and ideas of philosopher Martin Heidegger, who was a literal card-carrying member of the Nazi party. Like, so this is not new for me, but I guess this is like the first time that I'm publicly shedding light on somebody's bigotry before, like the, the times that I'd done it before was usually like in classroom settings where we would talk about like, you know, try to work out some of the feelings that we have about about the work that we do. And I, I found it really challenging to like tread the line between the emotional safety of Jewish and Black listeners, while also encouraging non-Jewish and white listeners to sit in discomfort, like to sit with me in that discomfort. And I guess I honestly feel called to do that more. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Katira, L, and Jeremiah Thomas. This week, we'd like to thank Nell for her message. You can find the links to all of our social media and our merch store at carryingwayward.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to us. If you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support us in our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can support us through Coffee or Patreon, and you can find those links at carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. For example, like, I cannot read the troll in the bathroom scene the same way now than I did when I was younger, especially knowing J.K. Rowling's, like, views on on trans people and where they can and cannot use the bathroom for some reason it just it baffles me and so again like so you know this idea that like her ideology permeates through the books I think is really interesting to look at and to see okay like what is it that I took from this book that may be infected with this ideology <laughs>